Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, getting into our sermon this morning, I want to ask you all a question, and y'all can just shout these out. What are your favorite idioms? Like your phrases, these sayings that don't technically make sense as they stand alone, but if you kind of know like what they mean, they make a little bit more sense. What are some of your favorites? Fly on the wall? Climbing the wall? Yeah. Fly on the wall is probably another, another one as well. Any others? Shout them out. Come on. Raining cats and dogs. Raining cats and dogs. Yeah. What will be, will be. No skin off my back. Yeah. Up creek without a paddle. I heard another one over here. Just a little bit louder. So sorry. Cats cut your tongue. Yep. Break a leg. Better late than never. Yeah. Cut them some slack off the hook. These are some popular things we say. Um, call it a day. Okay. What, what, what are we going to call it? Well, let's call it Sunday. So, yeah. These are different phrases that we use. Do you all use these pretty often? Do you find yourself using them more as you get older? I do. Yeah. All the time. And I say them to my son, and he has no idea what I'm talking about. What? What does that mean? But I would have to say my favorite one is this one up here. Haste makes waste, right? Yeah. Better late than never. That's right. Well, oftentimes I wait too late sometimes, and I find myself being hasty and rushing things because I'm a good old-fashioned procrastinator. I like, that little, the, I like that little bit of sense of urgency. I feel like it, you know, it kind of drives my creativity up a notch. It's not good for my blood pressure at all, um, but I feel like it helps me a little bit. Um, and I had a situation a couple, I think it was actually just last weekend, where we had to be somewhere and we got new patio furniture. And Alicia was like, hey, whenever you get time to put that together, go ahead and do so. I said, now. Nah. Which I know doesn't speak to me being a procrastinator, but I said, let's go, let's do it. So I put said furniture together and we actually have a picture of the furniture up here. And at first glance, it looks all right, right? Yeah, well, if you look a little bit closer, it looks all right if you were in Wonderland with Alice, um, because you'll notice that back chair does not line up at all with the side one. Um, that's because the table has longer legs, or is supposed to have longer legs, than the bench. And here's a video to demonstrate how crooked the table really is. Yeah, I apologize for my toes, not very pretty, but yeah, the table had longer legs, and so it got three long legs and one short one, and same thing with that back bench, it got three short ones and one long one, and it was just really, yeah, 
it was wasteful because then I had to go back and I had to redo it and it ended up, but we're okay. I sat on it. I didn't fall off. So we are good. But the sermon, or sorry, the parable that we're going to look today is talking about haste in a sense. And I think it is being hasty in our judgments of other people. Jesus warns us against that. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for the other people who are on the other side of our judgment? Well, we're going to look today at the parable of the wheat and the tares, or weeds, and just see what exactly Jesus is teaching with this. We're going to start in Matthew 13. It says this, Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let them both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. So Jesus gives us another farming parable. This comes at the end of three total ones. We get one earlier in the chapter where we are told about the parable of the sower and the seed, and then we get another one, and then we get this one of the wheat and the weeds. And as Pastor Chris mentioned a couple times in some of the previous sermons, Jesus didn't randomly just tell these sermons. He wasn't just like, are you guys bored? Do you want to hear a story? No, these were in response to things that were happening of the time, which is why he does talk about farming. This is something that they are familiar with. But there's also something that was happening that Jesus is addressing. There were some religious groups of the time. There was one called Essenes, And what they were doing is they were seeking to create almost like a pure community. And they were trying to distance themselves from everybody else. And they were saying, we are in and y'all are out. They had a bit of a monk-like lifestyle. And what they would do is they would actually live a life like a monk and almost live in celibacy. They would live in community with one another, but they very much so kind of divided themselves and wanted to live in this pure community. And then another group we hear about in the Gospels is the Pharisees, another religious group. These ones were more out within the community, but still wanting to create a pure group, a us versus them mentality. And Jesus often addressed them, especially in their hypocrisy with their almsgiving, their praying, their fasting, and how they did a lot of this and did it in a very showy way. And Jesus warned them against that. But the reality is that they wanted to create these pure communities. And I even think there's a little bit of foreshadowing that Jesus gives us here. Because as Jesus eventually is crucified and ascends to heaven, we get the Holy Spirit and we get the birth of Christianity where there's groups that are coming together and we see a lot of that tension that happens in the Gospels of Paul with the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. So Jesus gives us a warning about judgment and how it can make haste 
or can make waste if we're too hasty in our judgment. But asking this question of judgment, why do we judge others? I think the easy answer is it feels good, right? Yeah, kind of feels good sometimes. When we look at the shortcomings or the downfall of other people, it's kind of nice to say, well, my life's kind of fallen apart, but it's not as bad as theirs, right? Yeah. I may not have everything together, but I'm doing better than they are. I think that's why trash TV and reality TV does so well, right? You kind of watch it and go, yeah, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy, <laughs> you know? And so you see this and you think, it kind of just makes you feel good. And I think that's based off of a theory that was born in 1954. This was pushed forth by Leon Festinger, American psychologist, calling it the social comparison theory, where we rank ourselves based on other people. It's all just kind of a jockeying for position. Because what happens when we put other people down? What happens to our ranking? Goes up. Yeah. And so this social comparison is all a big system of judgment and how we rank with one another. And what often happens is this judgment comes probably too quickly, probably without enough knowledge, and probably does a lot more harm than good. So let's look. What are the consequences of judgment? I think the first thing is it hinders salvation of the other person. It cuts off the chance for that person to ever be ministered to or saved. We deem them as too far gone. Nothing can help them. We can't save them. Just forget about them. But what does Jesus say about that? What do the stories that Jesus say, say about that? The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the prodigal son. These are all stories that Jesus tells about people who are not too far gone, people who are always welcomed home, people who God will always continue searching for, no matter what or no matter how far they have fallen. So for us, it is a reminder that no one is too far gone. Have you all heard about cancel culture? This idea that if somebody does something, they kind of get almost erased. Social media, society does whatever they can to kind of erase this person. But what does that do about potential redemption? What does that do about this person ever getting better? I'm all for accountability. I think we need to be held accountable for our actions. But if we totally wipe someone off the map, if we totally cancel them, there's no hope for them. And we get rid of any chance of their salvation. But we need to also remember, if we judge other people, what does that say about us? What does that say about our witness? I would say it diminishes it, right? If we're looking to judge other people, I think it definitely diminishes our witness. Because it often comes out in action, in word, in deed, and other people see that and they say, this, this, this is the love of Christ that you speak about, speaking so harshly of other people. Donald Miller is a Christian writer, and he's a lay person, so he's not a pastor, but he speaks on Christian faith and how it gets lived out in life. 
And he talks about a time when he had a pastor who was very close to him speak harshly about a politician. And politics aside, I get it, but he still highlights the negative effect that this comment had. He said this. He said, I had my pastor say once when there were only a few of us standing around that he hated Bill Clinton. I can understand not liking Clinton's policies, but I want my spirituality to rid me of hate, not give me a reason for it. I couldn't deal with that. That is one of the main reasons I walked away. He heard his pastor, someone who is supposed to be following Christ so closely, use this as a reason to hate this person. And again, you may not like his policies, you may not even like the person, but to use that as hate, I think that severely diminishes our witness and our chance. And other people, especially those close to you, maybe those who are already calling themselves Christians, maybe those are people who are just interested, I think it can severely diminish it. And the other reason is, if we're judging other people, we're probably forgetting about our own weeds, aren't we? We've got plenty of our own weeds to deal with. None of us are free from those weeds that the enemy plants within us. Because zooming out on this, we could see that the field is the world. We could see that we are the wheat, and them, they, the others, the non-believers, are the weeds. But what if we looked at ourselves as the field? What if we are both the collective group of the wheat and the weeds? And we've got plenty of weeds, as I mentioned. I know I got plenty. Paul reminds us this in Romans 3 where he says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. And we're reminded that the weeds, when we use them, or when we forget about them, rather, and we judge others, can be used against us. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 7, saying, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Other translations talk about God will judge you as you judge others, and the measure you give will be given back to you. We have plenty of weeds in our own life. And when we're looking to other people and we're calling out the weeds that they have, we're forgetting about the own weeds that we have springing up in our life. But what do we do? As I mentioned, it's easy to judge. I had a couple people even after the first service, so it's so hard. It is. I am so guilty of it, y'all. It's so easy to do. And here are the things I think that can help us, can free us from that judgment, is the first thing is to find our worth in God. Don't play the social comparison game. Don't play the, but they did that game. Don't play the, but I'm not as bad as them game. Look to God, the one who created us, put us together to find your worth. 
in Psalm 139, it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Aren't we complex? Wonderfully made? Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Each one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us is God's workmanship. And I think for us, when we look at other people and we judge, what is that saying about God's workmanship? And I want to remind that as we look to God for our worth, the field belongs to God. Whether the field is the world, whether the field is us, however you want to look at it, the field belongs to God. God made each and every one of us. God made the world. Yes, the enemy sneaks in. Yes, there are weeds there. But trust in God. Anybody have a parent who said, my house, my rules? Yeah, yeah. I was the lawyer of the family growing up when I was seven years old. And I would go, but why? But why? And my mom would just shut me down and say, my house, my rules. Boom, deal with it. I was like, yeah. I didn't really quiet down that quick when I was younger, but I had to argue a little bit more. My house, my rules. But what about if we said it this way, God's field, God's rules? Because ultimately, judgment is God's and God's alone. God is the one who judges each and every one of us. And that's nothing to fear, that's nothing to worry about, because he does so kindly and graciously and compassionately. Again, looking to the psalm, Psalm 103, it says this, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love toward those who fear him as as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. We can let it go. We can let God be the one who deals with them, judges them, stresses off, let it go. And trusting, knowing that God will deal with them compassionately, kindly, like a loving father, like a loving mother, like a loving parent. Remembering that there is always a place for each and every one of us to come home. In the book, The Great Gatsby, there's a line early on that's spoken by a character, but many suspect that it was the author who kind of uses it as a voice to put something out there. He says, reserving judgment is a matter of infinite hope. Reserving judgment is a matter of infinite hope. If we reserve judgment, the field's wide open. If we reserve our judgment of other people, the possibilities are endless. But when we judge other people, we shut it down. We put them in a box, we put ourselves in a box, and we put God in a box. So reserve judgment. The possibilities are of infinite hope. That's the good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we are 
your workmanship. How marvelous you have made us, for we are all so wonderfully complex. God, and in the intricacies of all of us, there are difficult moments. There are moments where we mess up. There are moments where we fall short. But in your gracious love, you, as the loving parent you are, sweep us off our feet and you pick us up and you care for us. God, may we remember that when we see others stumbling and falling and falling apart. May we have the same compassion on them as you have on us. Slow to anger, quick to love, for it's in your infinite love that we find our worth. For your infinite love is the one that sustains us. And for that, we give you thanks. Amen.